but um, I seen it and it was all I needed to see. And it's pure evil. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to tell you anything graphic about it. I'm just going to tell you the premise of it. And I want to show you where America's mindset is today. This is why when you and I go out and preach the words of life, all they know is death. This is why. Because their mind and their brain is consumed with death. It's a glorification I am state. seeing something on the screen and repulsed by it. I am sitting there dreading another needle in the eyeball. I am dreading another incision across the scalp and the peeling back of the scalp. That's dread. That is not horror, and that's not entertainment. It is dread. This is some of the Hollywood writers. It's simply appalling. The uh, night of the living dead, you know, the chainsaw massacre, this horrible stuff, the blood and gore. You, you don't want to focus on your life on that. Right? If you have horror movies and wicked movies in your home, those are gateways. All it would take is um, some magic to turn that slime into something sentient, and you got a, you got a film that we could review on the podcast. Yep, a couple of nipple shots and we're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to episode number 57 of the Horror Explorer Podcast. This is a podcast determined to turn people on to horror movies they might have never seen or even heard of. We like to focus on VHS-era horror that most younger horror fans aren't aware of, and some of the more obscure or unusual horror that's come out since. My name's Mike. I record from the Horror Explorer Command Center in southeast Missouri. And this week we also have with us mm-hmm, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, to this week, I record from Illinois still. And once again, Liam. Hey, guys. I'm uh, in Canada, in the middle. <laughs> and Lauren's back as well. Hi, guys. I'm in New York. Awesome. You in upstate or the city part or what? Uh, I'm in the city. I am in Queens, home of Spider-Man. <laughs> so, so, Dave, you had something you wanted to talk about before we got rolling this week, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So summer has started over here in university land. So summer classes have also started. I'm not taking any summer classes because why should I? But an interesting course popped up that one of my friends told me about. It's called Modern Horror in America. And it's going to study horror movies from the 70s to now. And I thought that class would be interesting until I saw The Professor. The professor is a a TA I had for film history who went on a really long rant about how Texas Chainsaw Massacre was torture porn. However, it was the 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre she was talking about. Well, I don't think it applies to any of them, but... Yeah, of course. Oh, man. And she's the one teaching the class from the 70s to the 2000s on horror. And um, it's ridiculous. So I just want to, I'm going to show up to the class and just troll her. Are you really, Dave? Yeah, I, I'm actually going to show up to the class. Whether or not I um, like fight her or not is remains to be seen, but I'm at least going to show up to the class. Have you looked at any of the materials from the class, like a list of what, what movies it's going over or anything like no, that? There's no list available. All it says is it's going to examine presences like Leatherface, Freddy Krueger, Hannibal Lecter, they're saying. And then they're saying stuff like 70s horror, uh, body horror, feminism in 80s horror, uh, serial killer horror in the 90s, and body horror in the 2000s. Sounds kind of bland. It sounds very bland. Yeah, it sounds like horror movies for people who don't like or don't watch horror movies. If they end up talking about the way that I read somewhere there's a connection between the horror movies that are popular in a given decade and what the overarching uncertainties in America were at the time. There's some connection. There's some reason I read about that we've circled back to body horror in the 2000s. I'll- yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because we're in postmodernism right now or we're maybe in post-postmodernism. It depends. So nothing is sincere anymore. The only thing that's sincere is the body. So in order to affect people, you need to move into uh, interests of the body like pornography or body horror. So that's why we have moved back into body horror. It's because of this lack of sincerity that is so prominent nowadays. So I'm sure it's going to be stuff like that, but it's stuff that anybody who like watches horror movies consistently can point out well i'm just surprised that um 1970s and onward is considered modern horror i guess that means 
like about every movie we talk about on this podcast is a modern horror movie, right? Well, technically, the classical era of film goes until 1977, and the modern era goes from 1977 onwards. Okay, so so when she's talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we're we're still in the, yeah, that's still the classic the days. Era. Yeah, definitely. But uh, that's only in the most broad. If you separate film history into two broad strokes, you know. Right. I think I, you should stand up on the first day of class and say that. <laughs> <laughs> I should say Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a classic film, and I don't mean classic in the conventional sense. I mean classical era. And then she's like, "You mean four days?" I mean, I say no. You're such a rebel, Dave. All right. Every week I make these guys watch an older or more obscure movie that most people their age might not be familiar with. Usually it's something I like, but not always. Because the whole point of this podcast is to make younger horror fans like these guys aware that the best new horror movie that they see this year could be a movie from 30 years ago that they didn't even know existed. And this week Mike made us watch uh, Creepazoids. I had never heard of Creepazoids, actually. Thought it was a great title was excited to watch it. Yeah, I had seen it before. I tried to watch it once. Watched almost everything in it, aside from a few chunks of like 10 to 15 minutes here or there. But I ended up turning it off. That's like half the movie. Yeah, that's true. It is a 70-minute movie. I didn't even know this movie existed uh, until I kind of got desperate for new material. And I started going through... If you look on Wikipedia, for each year you can go through and look at all the horror movies that were released that year. And I found this just on the list for 1987 or whatever and never heard of it. And it said it had Linnea Quigley in it, so I thought, well, maybe it has some budget. Even though it has like a 3.6 on IMDb, I decided to check it out. Yeah, I had never heard of this one either. Surprisingly, I hadn't heard of uh, any of this director's uh, prolific body of work. I don't, I don't know how I hadn't because it seems like he's basically made uh every movie of all time um you know he has uh, about a thousand credits but um no i I hadn't heard of this one the the title did sound a bit familiar because um i think it used to be what kids used to call me in elementary school but i I don't i don't think they had any knowledge of uh david uh, dakota's um 80s romp or anything yeah it's kind of a childish title this is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi horror it's about five army deserters and four breasts that seek refuge from the aftermath of World War III in 1998. And they find a laboratory in the ruins of Los Angeles where they decide they're going to shack up and wait for things to blow over. Unfortunately for them, this laboratory was the site of a government genetic experiment. And you know what that means. Uh, so likely- <laughs> yeah, this this movie didn't, didn't teach me what that means at all. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like, like Liam had said, this is directed by David D. Cato, who really didn't do anything important. Uh, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bowlerama. I've heard of it, never watched it. I've heard it referenced before. And he also did that uh, well-known tour de force, Puppet Master 3. But like Liam said, he has done a ton of movies. He's also done what looks like a lot of softcore porn. (laughs) That's that's believable. This also has Linnea Quigley in it, as I mentioned, as Blanca or Bianca. We can't quite figure out which name it is yet. And she even has a production credit on the movie. Uh, if you don't know who she is already, she's been a fixture in horror since the early 80s and a fixture at conventions since then. She's been playing things anywhere from she played a uncredited mannequin in that great movie Tourist Trap that we watch. And real. she's also had... Yeah, she was an uncredited mannequin in that. And she also had iconic roles as uh, Trash in Return of the Living Dead, of course, probably what she's best known for. And Suzanne in Night of the Demons, another very popular 80s horror movie. And she's been in a ton of movies since, and she continues to do horror to this day. Now, some of you might recognize Ashley Gear, who plays Kate. This is one of her first movie roles. She went on to more memorable and award-winning roles in movies such as Bush Pilot 2, Deeper Into the Bush... Cocksmokers 12, Talien <laughs> 2 and 3, and of course the classic Anal Secret. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Cocksmoker 12 is also what kids used to call me on the playground in elementary school. <laughs> you know, I saw these, I saw these, uh, initialisms that you have here in, in the guide, and I couldn't figure out what they possibly were, and now I know what BP2 is. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want you guys to read that and then not be surprised when I started talking about her various porn roles. It's ironic that she was a super prolific porn actress. Like she's got AVN awards up the butt. 
<laughs> but she's got a ton of ADN awards and stuff like that. She's done a ton of movies, but this is one of her earlier movies. And the funny thing about this is the only reason that you see Linnea Quigley do a naked shower scene in this movie is because Ashlyn Gear refused to do a nude scene. And Linnea Quigley decided to take one for the team so they would have a shower scene or something in the movie. Like, I guess, well, she makes the living out of being naked and then doing wild things while being naked. So I guess it's kind of like asking a gourmet chef to make a grilled cheese sandwich or something. <laughs> Actually, yeah. this was before she did porn. Oh, so it's yeah? Like she, was, she came to Hollywood. She did a couple of low-budget movies. She's like, yay, I'm not showing my tits. I'm a great actress. And then she's like, oh, I need to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of sobering. Yeah. Jeez. Sad, perhaps, but whatever. It's what I'm going to do once I go to L.A. I'm unfortunately going to have to become a male prostitute. Cocksmokers 13 starring David. (laughs) Oh, my God. We'll see what these guys have to say about creepazoids right after this. If you would like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer podcast, you can reach us via email at horrorexplorerpodcast at gmail.com or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash horrorexplorer or follow us on Twitter at horrorexplorer. All right, now we'll see what these guys thought of Creepazoids. And as usual, we're going to start with mm-hmm, Dave. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we open with the dolly past a curtain to a low-budget scientist and a room filled with terrible lighting. I mean, it, you can almost see the theatrical light sources because they're just spotlighting things everywhere. And it looks as cheesy and fake as any theater production or student film set. So immediately... So, well, and, and the things that they're drawing the focus to... They should probably not be drawing your focus to them because it is the worst science lab setup I have ever seen as far as uh, like, for instance, the centerpiece is a 10 gallon fish tank with a bunch of hoses running into it. Not it to looks men- like it's full of rotten orange juice. <laughs> yeah, not to mention there is a bunch of like creepy, like scratching noises or what they wanted be to be creepy scratching noises coming from behind the door, which don't sound like they're coming from behind the door. They sound like they're inserted in post-production. And the scientist lady says, oh, no, is someone there in perfect monotone? She is the least concerned scientist ever. So my expectations are already at below a student film level. I've seen student films that far surpass this already in production value, and this was made for $75,000. That's some serious hyperbole there, Dave. It wasn't that bad, in my opinion. It was obviously cheesy, but, you know, and she repeats it several times, someone there, uh, is someone there, and she goes back to playing with her tubes and stuff like that, (laughs) and then it's someone there. And then, uh, ultimately, she decides to open the door to see what's there, and it's like a gigantic monster thing that looks like it has tusks or something the lighting's the very poor obvious, the monster is obviously in a different location like the monster is was obviously shot somewhere else and not shot in the same room as this random scientist lady and just looks oh. like it, the monster was shot in a studio instead of shot on location well, sir, it doesn't it doesn't show the monster and the scientists in the same frame at any point in time so i guess that's possible yeah, yeah. Not to mention, once the scientist sees the monster, she, it's a bunch of cheesy zooms on her all day. It's ridiculous. And then so we, that was your cold open for the movie right there. Yeah, that's our introduction. And then we cut to a bunch of, like, text scrolling, and the text sits there for five minutes. Yeah, it gives some exposition about how World War III happened in 1998. Remember, this was made in 1987. And the world is a blackened husk, and there's, like, you know, radiation, uh, acid rainstorms and stuff. And there's groups of survivors that are friggin' wandering over the earth looking for safety or shelter or some shit. Kind of setting it up. And then from there, it moves into people walking intercut with the credits. And, like, the credits, when they pop up on the screen, it's, like, with a teletype noise. And through the whole thing, you get the Creepazoids theme. Can I say something about the music? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was sitting, grooving along to it. Uh, it reminded me of the soundtrack to Chopping Mall. Um, I don't know if y'all have seen Chopping Mall. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but then I saw that the music was actually written by Guy Moon, who wrote a lot of the music for cartoons in the um, late... Late 90s, early 2000s, things like Fairly Odd Parents, Danny Phantom. He also wrote the music to uh, one of my favorite anti-drug PSAs um, called All Stars to the Rescue, which is hilarious. It has the Ghostbusters in it. Um, 
But he also yeah. did the music to the sorority babes in Slimerama, so Slime Bowl. Oh. Slime Ladies thing. <laughs> so, did this music sound familiar to any of you guys? It sounded like the music from Night of the Comet. Yeah, it sounded kind of similar. I've actually, one time, the first time I watched this movie, because that plays at the beginning and the end of the uh, of the movie, I was like, man, that sounds so familiar. It sounds like video game music to me. It sounds like, like something from fucking Double Dragon. I know yes, you guys. Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I wrote down that uh, listening to all the music in this movie really makes me want to play Super Nintendo, so <laughs> yeah, I, I felt that too. And I feel like I've heard it in some other uh, movie, too. I mean, it sounds familiar to me, but I never could find any other use of this music anywhere. Well, to me, I think that's just because uh, Guy Moon has a very distinct style. I couldn't describe it to you. Um, But once I knew it was Guy Moon, I could hear the similarities to the other things that he's composed that I know really well. I don't know. Everything he writes is kind of hoppy and fun. It's cheesy, but it's got a good groove to it. I can move to it. Mm-hmm. So I while they're doing, stop being able to move to it after five minutes of the music playing. I wrote down how long the music played, and the music started to wear me down after so many uninteresting shots of people walking through abandoned places. Yeah, and during those shots, that's when I realized I was watching a four to three VHS rip, and I just stopped and I went and watched it on YouTube in 720p, where I'm pretty sure it's still a four to three VHS rip, but it was a little less fucked up, and they stretched it out to make it look like it wasn't four to three. Oh shoot, really? It didn't. Yeah, it looked like they just squished it out a little bit, like the opposite of what they used to do the kung fu movies. Ugh, I didn't realize. I didn't notice that actually, but. Anyway, so we get, we're treated to a lot of deep space shots of wanderers just, like, walking down the street while hip, fun music plays. And this these shots go on way too long. This music goes on way too long. And we're at the five-minute mark or the six-minute mark, and I'm already being worn down by this movie. And that's not a good sign. Yeah, something finally happens. They find a building, and they're like, uh, hey, let's go hang out here. And then they go into the building and they assume this posture that you'll see repeatedly throughout the movie where they crouch and walk kind of slow. Mm-hmm. And down and, the stairs they go. And right when before they get into that building, we're interrupted by really, really obvious, really, really grainy cloud stock footage. And this stock yep. footage will repeat whenever they need something to cut away to or whenever they need to remind the audience that it's raining. And it's really, really obvious that it's stock footage. Yeah, it's the rain is supposed to be some kind of a threat, like it's acid rain or radioactive or some shit. Did they ever actually say that it was acid rain or radioactive, like, no. in the intro? Because I don't think I would have known that the rain was a threat if I hadn't read it prior to watching the movie. I, it comes up later in the movie, but no, at the beginning, you're not sure why they're so scared of the rain. Although I guess you can kind of figure since it's post-apocalyptic nuclear war bullshit that I guess rain would be dangerous. But I just assumed because yeah. they were talking about it like it was dangerous. It's not dangerous. It's rangerous. Mm. <laughs> no response. <laughs> so after that, they kind of like walk around and try to get a lay of the land. Some people hear a really weird noise inside one of like the rooms. I think it's the generator room or something. I don't know. It's when when they first get in there, they hear these stupid fake rat noises, and then boom, time to split up. And then boom, time for the boom mic to get in the shot, which it does. Oh, no. I yeah. missed that. Yeah, nine minutes forty five seconds in, we get a boom in the shot, and I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this movie? Please stop. I, I wrote down actually. I don't know how much of this I can handle. Oh, you're so sensitive, Dave. Keep it rolling. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so then they – this girl, Butch – or sorry, this guy, Butch, and his lover or his like fuck buddy or something along those lines named Bianca walk over to a shower. They find a shower. The yeah, guy they find says, lots of stuff. They find cots. They find rooms that have like cages that they thought they might have been – uh, growing their own livestock there before they showed up. They find a lab and they find a shower, you know, and they're, they're kind of scouting this as a place to live or hide out for a while. And keep in mind, these people are survivors. They have survived whatever World War Three is because they've abandoned the front lines or whatever. So they should be like relatively concerned for their survival. However, Butch, the guy, says to Bianca, the girl, that, 
hey, don't turn on the shower. It might be contaminated. She says in response, give me a break and (laughs) turns on the shower. And how could these people be so unconcerned with their own lives? Yeah. Well, it's clearly not well-written characters in this movie. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, anyway, there were two things in this movie I liked. And by two things, I mean two shots in this movie I liked. So the main man, Jake, he's revealed to be the only character once it's revealed that he's the only one who survives. But he walks into the same room the cheesy scientist was in earlier, and the camera is exactly the same shot. So it signals that what happened to the scientist earlier is the same thing that's going to happen in this crew. Or it could be that they just had dolly track laid down, so they thought might as well do the same shot because we already have dolly track and we already have the motion down and we don't want to do a new shot. I'll let you guys decide which one was valid. But I thought well, it was- this thing this thing was filmed in like twelve days, so I'm sure they're just like, okay, scientist, get in here. All right, you're done. You're out. Okay, Jake, get in here. Okay, great job. All right, let's move on. They probably didn't even move the camera. They just did the same shot for both. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I I like to hope. You know, I like like to. Think that so that's work. what you liked about the movie? That's one of the things I liked. I like that it's parallelism between this entrance and the scientist. All right. Unintentional, likely, but oh well. So then they find a dead body underneath the computer. What do you guys think about the dead body discovery? Well, they didn't just find a dead body underneath the computer. They all split up. And uh, they all went to the mess hall. Meanwhile, the guy with the glasses who complains about his bursitis, he's he goes into the room with the computer, and there's just, like, a head on the ground. And he freaks out like a girl and starts screaming. And then they all come running in there. And as soon as Jake gets in there, like, instantly, as soon as they enter the room, he just runs up to the head and kicks it like a soccer ball. And he's like, what? Do you, what what's, the, what's the problem? <laughs> That's it's definitely stupid. suspicious behavior. Was that Was that head the same head as the scientist? No, found? it was a dude. It was a random head. Yeah, it was a guy. Oh, okay. Was a dude. The scientist was a chick. I I know, but I couldn't quite tell if maybe I was just really bad at recognizing heads once they're separated from their bodies, or if we just <laughs> totally lost track of the dead scientist from earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever find her again. She hung herself no. on the, the lamp or whatever. Well, that corpse is so desiccated, who knows who that's supposed to be. Yeah, the costume store corpse, I like to call it. But we're moving a little ahead here. So yeah. so then they kind of sit all together, have like the communal meal. Reminds me a little bit of Alien, which came uh, eight years earlier. Then two people go off to the shower and start having sex. And it's the most predictable, obvious thing ever. And there's Wait. A, yeah? I just wanted to mention... I wrote down the dialogue prior to the shower. Oh, boy. Oh, I was, boy. I was, Let's hear it. Well, first I made a note that there are no bras in the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> I noticed the same thing. <laughs> uh, 90% of household accidents happen in the bath. I'm standing guard. Yeah, that, was, that was actually, I liked that line a lot, to be honest. Really? But then, yeah. here's, here's the reply. No, you're going to come. <laughs> Soap up my backside. Like, you could drive a truck through the pause <laughs> she took in that sentence. Yeah, if I recall correctly, that line was reused again a few years later in uh, Cock Smokers 12. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but th- this this was where it originated. And, and I, yeah, I think it worked well. It was... I'm with Mike here. I, th- I thought this the, the dialogue that preceded this shower scene was, was pretty smooth. Totally. Yeah. After the sex scene, Jesse, the computer guy with the glasses, is going doing computer stuff. But something important I wanted to let you guys like or to inform you guys about. I'm not sure if this was on IMDb trivia or whatever, but it was in the movie. I actually paused it and wrote down the names. What we have here on the computer screen are fake names of famous horror people. Interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. So one of them was. Some guy named Charlie Band, not Charles Band, but Charlie Band. Then we have uh, Jackson. Well, we all know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Then we have Jackson Schumeller or whatever, however you pronounce his name. John Schumeller, who's the director of Taurus Trap. Oh, yeah, Schmoller. Yeah, Schmoller, yeah. I didn't read any of the names on the screen. I really wish I would have now. Yeah, and then we had Roger Corman, who actually was just Roger Corman. (laughs) (laughs) We had another guy, something Brick. I forget his name. Shoot, who was it? Oh, well, it's uh, pointless trying to remember now. But they were all, like, horror people. Oh, that's kind 
of well, fun. Pretty, yeah, it's a nice little Easter egg. Yeah, it's the second thing I liked about this movie, and the only other thing I liked about this movie, aside from the unintentional laziness, you know? We're, like, not even 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And you're already out of things you liked. Yeah, I know. And then we're actually exactly at the 18-minute mark because I wrote down the time code whenever the cloud stock footage reappeared. (laughs) Also, keep – I'm not sure if you guys noticed this, but they keep reusing the same insert of the hands on the keyboard. It was the exact same shot every single time, just cut slightly differently. Yep, that's cheap. It's very cheap. Not to mention, a really cheap way to fill time is just to have text on the screen. I yeah, felt like they're... this movie made me do reading. Yeah, at one point that guy, he finds a diary on a computer disc, and he finds it, and he goes in the middle of the night, puts it on the computer, and it's he's re- there's entries that you, you're, you are supposed to read. They are left on the screen large enough where you are supposed to read them, and he is reading along with you out loud. And it's really painstaking. Yeah, I I think all the writing on the screen in this movie felt um, pretty lazy to me. I think that especially delivering all that exposition right at the beginning about um, the dystopian universe they're living in, I thought that um, that was all a way to um, so that the movie didn't have to waste any time dealing with all the boring talking stuff that most movies have to do. And so... (laughs) Because yeah, they put it, needs, this, it, it needed to save that time for people to crouch slowly and walk around. Exactly, yeah. So our intro, instead of people talking and setting up the premise of this movie, instead we could uh, spend that intro watching people walk for five minutes. And so it was an <laughs> interesting creative choice. I think it's one of those things that appears in movies sometimes that frustrates me, where we get this really build up, really great build-up to a, what could be a super cool world, and instead, we focus on something small and mundane in that world. Like, yeah. the superpowers combined, and, you know, the world is destroyed, and there's acid rain, and we're going to spend the entire movie in a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I, t- I totally know what you mean. I, I think that um, this movie, it didn't really even need to have the whole uh, dystopian theme that they were going for. I think yeah, that they could, have, they could have dropped any situation into that little laboratory hole in the ground thing and had the exact same movie. Absolutely, it, it was just it was a way to um, to keep the characters indoors um, and confine them to one set. Yeah, when, especially is, with like, a post-apocalyptic film, I really would like to see uh, more exploration of the world in general, a more broad approach to the the world of the movie than just seeing one location or two locations and a couple of characters and because I really like post apocalyptic horror but much like this movie a lot of them just focus on one small area of it and don't really get into what happened or what's going on or what the world's really like I feel like this movie is the same movie we've seen a billion times done better except with just a different coat of paint on it it's feces yeah. painted with, with paint on it <laughs> anyway. So we get some cringeworthy interactions between Kate and Jake, Kate being the brunette love interest who later goes on to do porn, and Jake being the main guy. They're just obviously reading from a script. It's the most stilted, awkward, painful thing. Right after that, we get to the third time we see the cloud footage, and at this point, we're getting bonuses. I'm racking up bonuses in this movie. And um, let's see. Oh, oh, then we well, get that, to- Yeah, that's now he's in there in the kitchen with her or whatever, and he wakes everybody up. And yeah. there's two things I wanted to talk about here. Number one, uh, the previous night, the guy, the computer guy, Jesse, who'd been looking through the diary, crawled through some air vent because he heard something. He got attacked by the same monster that attacked the scientists at the beginning. And then it cuts to the morning. Uh, Jake is in there talking to the porn star, and she's making breakfast. He goes and wakes everybody up. And Jesse, that guy, is in his bed. So it's like, how do you get back to the bed without, without you know, like the monster attacked him? So why aren't they, you know, you're just creating this huge hole where it doesn't make sense. How do you get back to bed? And it's never covered. So that's the first thing I wanted to bring up. I don't know if any of you noticed that. Yeah, no, I yeah, noticed but, it too. And they don't explain it. Yeah. I, I tell anyone. Yeah, you're right. I, I thought that was when he showed up in the bed um, the next day and Jake came in to check on him and pulled back the covers and – um saw that he was uh he was acting the way he probably should be acting. He wasn't acting like someone that just got attacked by a monster. I thought that was very unexpected 
And um, while it could be seen as a plot hole, I, I had faith that the movie was going to explain it. And I was kind of I was interested to see um, how Jesse got to this point after being attacked by a creature. But I felt that it didn't capitalize on that um, unsettling feeling that I got from seeing him normal after becoming attacked. Yeah. Um. So when Jake goes and wakes everyone up, this is another fun quote I wrote down, which was, Reveille, let's shag it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty forced. He also previously told people to hump to it, not jump. Anyway. <laughs> I think this is a post-A-Clockwork Orange world, so it's all about over-sexualization of things. But anyway, that's besides the point. They well, the, the, the second point I wanted to make, hang on there, Dave. I know you're excited. Okay. You, want to, you want to burn this movie to the ground, but just hang on. And so when they do this breakfast scene... It's an alien vibe. Just right off the bat, it's a straight ripoff of Alien. They all get in there. You got the guy who was attacked by a monster the night before, but is now perfectly fine, and they're all eating and all that. And it's very similar because they're talking about what they're going to do. They're just having a general discussion, and then all of a sudden, something's wrong with the guy who got attacked by the monster. And I thought it was really funny because... The way he acts it, he's basically doing the same thing that my cat does before he coughs up a hairball. He's doing that, and I really thought they should have been like doing what I do, which is try to get him off the carpet and then run for some fucking paper towels. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to mention the same thing, how it was just a rip off of the alien dinner scene that everyone knows so well. So there's nothing more to talk about there except for how poorly done it was. It wasn't. It wasn't too poorly done, except for the fact that it's a ripoff. His his oh, pupils no. change, and he barfs up some black stuff, and it's fairly nasty. And like one of his hands gets really deformed. I wasn't sure what that was about. So he's dead now. The computer guy with bursitis has died. We get the contain something rather than keeping something out cliche. Like this building was meant to keep something in rather than keep something out. Almost well, word uh, word for word from the keep. Yeah, exactly. And then we get some awkward. I'll go down to the tunnel. No, I'll go down to the tunnel. No, don't go down there. It's dangerous interchange. I'm, and that's I'm more braver than you are. Yeah, yeah. It's some of the worst dialogue I've heard. And meanwhile, the score is just being as bland sci-fi as possible. I was really not digging the music at this point. I was super digging it. I wrote down uh, Guy Moon's Walking Tunes was what I called this movie. <laughs> So, yeah, that's when uh, Bianca runs into that hanging, dried-out corpse. I don't know. She could have been the scientist from the beginning. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And then it's really weird because the, the one guy goes through the tunnel, and she gets attacked by the monster. I'm like, wow, they're going to kill off Linnea Quigley this quick. And instead, she just sits on the floor and starts crying and screaming. And then when everyone shows up, the monster is gone. And it's gone through a different vent, apparently. I thought that was strange. That's not seeing. And also, Linnea Quigley is scared by a costume store skeleton. It looks like something you bought at the costume store ridiculously cheap also at this point every monster i predict that at 36 minutes in every monster attack will be the same which was turned out to be false but at this point the monster has just been grabbing everyone raising them up and roaring at them and then we cut away that has been all the attacks so far also in terms of cinematography all the shots are basically the same as the original troll they're very simple bland it's just a collection of people like bunched into a frame with no composition it's just trying to capture action there's no style to it yep there's no literally no creative cinematography in this whatsoever this is a home movie all the dialogue's really awkward and at this point we're over 30 minutes in so i've just started making generalizations about the film and oh boy so also we've gotten to the point of we're going off one by one to get ourselves killed. Very, very similar to the movie we watched last week. So what did you guys think of the science that was put forward in this movie, though? Because we haven't really gotten to that. They start talking about how Jesse was making his own amino acids, and so when he ate, it overloaded him, and that's why he puked and exploded or whatever. I thought the science was all sound. I I didn't explain why why were they doing it, like... I think the thing with super soldiers, like, if the soldiers don't have to eat, then they're super soldiers, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. But then we get a costume store mouse that attacks people. Those effects, all the effects with the mice, the mice, the rats, I guess they're supposed to be rodents of unusual size. They look like a cross, they look like a rat's half, back half of a rat, the front half of a really adorable hamster. 
Yeah, and they're all just really large stuffed animals, or like yeah, very very static. It's it's terrible. It's just unbelievable. I I was like my I sorry I I can't emphasize this enough how blown away I was by this. Yeah, and literally every encounter with the rats and with one of the other things that they encounter later consists of oh there it is there I am it's on me I'm grabbing it and screaming and now I'm going to toss it. Mm -hmm. Exactly, they just throw Mm -hmm. it off screen. Also, I really like this line. I'm sure you guys took note of this. After she throws the mouse into the corner, Jake comes by with a laser gun, and the lady, Kate, says, no, no, I need its protein to study it. And then he says, fuck yeah. protein. And he just shoots. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fantastic. I think this movie might actually be set in the same universe as Galaxy of Terror with a... Uh, the amount of ray gun action that we got in the latter half of the film. Well, yeah, true. They're, shoot, they're shooting ray guns, but aren't they running around with little mini Uzis? Yeah, yeah, but the, the mini Uzis shot rays. Jesus. Anyway, so after that, after the mouse-slash-rat-slash-costume-story toy attack, we cut to the fourth time of seeing the stock footage of the clouds. <laughs> I don't know what to say, so, Mike. Handwriting actually deteriorated here. Yeah, Dave. uh, Well, I'm just curious. It's such a short movie. What was the shortest duration of time between one cloud shot to the next that you caught? Ooh, ooh, that's good. Um, I actually I stopped writing down time codes after the second cloud attack. But let me see. I could I could go to it now and check it out. But I think the shortest duration was. Hmm. Let me pull it up really quickly. The science in this movie was referred to as a, quote, dipshit science project by Butch. <laughs> That's a really well-written line. I think if anyone else were to, were to deliver that, it would sound awkward, but it's, it's totally a Butch line. It's, it's something he would definitely say. And I, I thought it was weird how they had to explain how Glasses Guy, whose name I've forgotten. Um, Jesse. Jesse! thought it was weird that Jesse had to explain to every other character one at a time what an amino acid was. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that they went through the trouble of actually being scientifically accurate with that stuff, though. Yeah, I didn't need it three times, though. Yeah. Also, I looked up the cloud thing. It was ten minutes. Ten minutes, okay. Yeah, so that's not too bad. Not as bad as I, I make it sound. I make it sound worse. But at this point, we have how many people alive? We have leader guy, Jake. Butch is gone at this point, I believe. So what what keeps going on is like the monster will encounter people and not kill them. Or he'll encounter them and take him to this room that looks like a cave that you always see from the exact same camera angle and lay them down there so that they can regain consciousness and get back with the group. And this inclines the leader guy, Jake to say it doesn't want to kill us when it clearly kills them. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. At one point, it takes someone back there. I think I believe it's Butch. Lays him in the exact same spot that it's been laying everyone else to regain consciousness and then, like, sprays some shit out of his mouth all over him. It looks like, I don't know, like, undercoat for a truck or something, like rhino liner. Oh, right. I remember that. That happens right after the leader guy, Jake, gives his whole speech about the creature saying it's too smart for us. It's super smart, super strong. And meanwhile, he knows nothing about the creature. He's just making assumptions. And after that, Jake and Butch try to attack the creature by running at the creature instead of shooting it with their guns. And then Jake gets carried off as a result of that confrontation and sprayed with a black goo that dissolves. That's Butch. Butch, sorry, yes. It doesn't dissolve his face, does it? No, No, it it dissolves the computer. Yeah, yeah, it blows up the computer. Once again, like everyone else, Butch wakes up, and they get him, and they put him on, like, a hospital bed or something like that, and then he mutates, and his face explodes. I actually liked the effects on that, and I thought he did a good job acting out the pain. It kind of reminded me of a metamorphosis, the alien factor in that respect. I was thinking that just now. Oh, that's wild. I thought it was a great visual, too. I think... um... I'm not sure how deep into the movie we were at that point, but I thought it was the the first memorable um, image on screen. I thought it was it was yeah. a pretty striking piece of imagery, actually. We're roughly 45 minutes in, so far over halfway through. Then we have <laughs> Lena Quigley and the other girl sitting on the bed talking. The other girl is like, "Hey guys, 
the reason I didn't want to do the war is not because I was afraid of dying, but because I was afraid of rats. So I'm like, okay, now they're going to get attacked by a giant. Yeah, what, what could possibly happen after that little bit of exposition? <laughs> and immediately after, another toy <laughs> them. It's the same one, too. I, mm-hmm. I think they didn't kill it with the ray gun. because The ray gun didn't seem to do anything. So nobody deals successfully with the toy rat. The toy rat ends up killing Kate the brunette. But not before Kate confesses her feelings about Jake. Jake. Yeah. Yeah. In the most awkward and cringeworthy way possible. Let's not turn this into a slumber party. Yeah, that, that was a great line. And then they, that's that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then Jake keeps going like he keeps talking to Bianca, who is the only survivor at this point, saying, well, he doesn't know that the other girl, Kate, is going to turn into a mutant and attack them. But yeah, uh, that's confusing, too, because like everyone else, it's it's not consistent. She gets bit by a rat and she turns into a zombie, but she's a zombie that is kind of like a 1980s WWF women's wrestling champion. Like her, her as a zombie, what she wants to do is put people in chokeholds, uh, do some knee raises to the abdomen, stuff like that. And she ends up fighting Bianca, the Linnea Quigley character. And it kind of looks like a bad 1980s wrestling match. When it came to this scene, um, this was actually my favorite scene in the movie. I thought that when, Kate became a zombie. I thought it was actually pretty unsettling, pretty uh, uh, terrifying, because I, I'm not very scared of zombie films, because zombies lose their consciousness and they lose their lack of agency, and when something doesn't have agency, it doesn't tend to get under my skin because it's so mindless. But in this case, I thought that Kate, in this zombie form, fighting and growling with such conviction was actually pretty horrifying because it was a, it was a zombie that seemed to have a mission and have a direction. But then it was once we got into the punching sound effects and the kicking and this WWE match that I thought, again, that this, this movie, it, it had something. It had a bit of tension and something it could capitalize on, but it seems that it didn't realize that it had something and it got thrown out very quickly. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a somersault or two in this scene either. It was just, <laughs> you know, um, it, it deflated pretty quickly. Yeah. And it feels like it doesn't belong in the movie either, just because like there's no, nothing previous that involves zombies or anything like that. Or maybe she's a were rat. I don't know. It kind of reminded me of the sound effects that were used in the Evil Dead musical that was from a few years ago. Um, When people turned into deadites, those were kind of the sound effects and the voices they used. Okay, so moving on, Jake makes it his personal mission to quote-unquote kill it. So he tries – he turns this into a a sort of game of wits between him and the monster. He's trying to like – outsmart it and that's kind of like what the movie is going for the movie wants it to be like a man versus monster who's smarter who's stronger who's faster sort of game which was kind of what the alien movies turned into but it fails completely here yeah and it just it drags out the third act in this movie is pretty bad the whole movie is pretty bad i've been checked out of this movie since i don't know 15 minutes yeah so this point in the film Everyone is dead aside from the main guy named Jake, and he's in some sort of Walmart or CVS or something along those lines, some sort of abandoned Walmart with a bunch of shelves of random stuff. No, he's in the same place. He's just in the warehouse portion of it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was was trying to make a joke. Oh, you're not good at that, Dave. Anyway, so he's sitting there. The monster's looking for him. We get a lot of back and forth. The monster grabs him, throws him to another side of the warehouse, then like starts so looking much. for him again. It's so long, so boring. It's the same stuff over and over and over and over and Shot over. Shot of Jake crouching and walking. Shot of the monster. 
shot of Jake crouching and walking. Monster grabs Jake and shakes him around. At one point, it, the monster lifts Jake up high in the air. Ooh, scary. Except not so scary because you can see the safety harness attached to Jake <laughs> in like yeah. two different scenes. And it'll toss him. And then suddenly, whenever it tosses him, suddenly they're separated by a football field length or something because neither one knows where the other one is. Then you get a shot of the monster. Shot of Jake crouching and walking. Shot of the monster. And then it happens again. Oh, we're going to throw him and then he's going to be somewhere else and then they're going to crouch and walk and throw and crouch and walk and throw and it goes on for fucking ever. And then eventually Jake finds a syringe of some sort, stabs the monster with... Yeah, he finds this thing. It looks like the stuff I use as a flavor injector when I'm making my Thanksgiving turkey. Exactly. (laughs) It's a comically oversized syringe. I liked the way that when he finds that and he's going to attack the monster, like he sees the monster and he's like, here I come. And he runs from like 50 feet away with it going, oh, so that the monster has ample warning and can just throw him again. Yeah, yeah. I have nothing else to say in that regard. So then he kill he quote unquote kills the monster, and then we get the quote unquote twist of the film. And it's part of the it's the introduction to the worst part of the film. A baby monster, like a mutated baby, bursts out of the big monster's head and starts yeah. attacking. And I think so, we need to specify that it's a human baby. It's not it's like a, a mini version of the tusks. It's like a, a human baby, but it's mutated. Yeah, yeah. Skipping over one of the stupidest things in the film, though, which is uh, after he attacks with the needle and gets tossed, he sits up again. Of course, he landed in a pile of boxes. How convenient! And he he injects it with the flavor from the from the flavor injector, and the monster responds by falling on the ground, and his head falls off. It's Does the head actually fall off. Yeah, it falls backwards, and the head rolls away from it. It's ridiculous. And then as Jake's walking away and he goes into a fetal position somewhere, then you get this baby that's like kind of part monster, part human. It kind of looks like the baby from It's Alive, to be honest, if you've ever seen that. I was thinking that, too. And it it crawls out, and you know it's supposed to be a baby because it has an umbilical cord. I did think that was a nice touch that it had an umbilical cord it had to break or whatever, so you know it's a baby. And then you go through the same cycle again of crouching and walking and an attack, and the baby is treated much the same way that the rats are treated, where he presses it up against him, and he's like, oh, the baby is biting my throat. And then he takes it and tosses it, and then crouch and walk. It's just the same formula over again for like another ten minutes. And I, I wrote down, oh, no, not this again. Please, anything but this. And my handwriting is deteriorating as I move closer and closer to death and losing my sanity. So yeah. was it Jake, Jesse, or Butch that had sex with this alien creature? Because someone had to father this human child, right? It was Kate because it, she couldn't get some from Jake. This is – see, this Aww. is interesting because when, <laughs> when Jake keeps saying, I think the monster wants something else – it's you. You kind of think, well, maybe because of the kind of movies that we've been watching over the last years, you think, well, clearly what he's talking about is it wants to fuck somebody or get fucked. It wants oh, to. I didn't think that at all. Like that. I see where you're coming from. That's that's what I was thinking. But it's yeah. but you never see any interaction that reflects that. It just it kidnaps people and then they wake up and they go back to the group. And then at the end, I mean, the baby is part human, so it it, it must there must have been some kind of exchange of bodily fluids there that we don't know about. I'm Wait. not sure. What if, remember, Bianca, when she died, she was lifted into the air, and then Jake wakes up, looks off screen, says, Bianca, no, then runs off. <laughs> so what if the monster was, like, raping Bianca, but, like, there aren't, there's no sounds to suggest it whatsoever, and it just happens all off screen with nothing to suggest it whatsoever aside from the baby? But then she would be pregnant. I mean, I think it comes down to definitely Jake, Jesse, or Butch being the father okay. and the monster being the mother. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, guys, but this movie definitely could have benefited from an alien sex scene. Um, <laughs> normally, that normally that kind of thing might be something we criticize, but in this case, it's it seems kind of necessary. And again, this this movie, it kind of it, it seemed to take a few shortcuts. Well, they were just trying yeah. so hard to get to that seventy-minute runtime. No. So then Jake strangles the baby with its own umbilical cord, and yay, the baby's dead and the movie's over. Except the baby's still alive. But the movie does end anyways, and then we get the music again. Yeah, fuck off. The movie needed to fuck off at that point. Even the credits were painfully slow. But the credit music was great. So why don't you give us your final thoughts and ratings, Dave? Okay, I think you can already guess mine, but... 
<laughs> let me see. I don't even know where to begin. The stock footage use was ridiculous, over the top. It was obvious it was stock footage. It broke whatever immersion the movie may have had. The sound design was terrible. The Foley work was so amateur as to be unbelievable. And it was he can't talk and listen to music at the same time. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I was distracted by the music. Anyway, so sound design was horrifically cheap, and it really showed that it was cheap. The music became unbearable despite Guy Moon's best efforts at being hip and fun. The movie was so unhip and unfun that the music sure, certainly didn't work. The special effects were at times passable, but only passable as a lower-budget version of something like Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, which is not really the highest of aspirations, you know? It looked like something that Screaming Mad George could have done, but if Screaming Mad George only had a dime or something like that. So, see, anything else I need to talk about? Oh, the character... Just rate it, Dave. What? Just rate it. Just rate it. it. We already know you don't like it. Just give it an out of ten. Yeah, yeah, nobody should ever see it. Uh, whoever made this movie, I hope you don't make movies anymore. One out of ten. Please, right. don't see it. One I'm sure of- this guy is going to make plenty more movies, Dave. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, he's, he made he's, a lot he's already fulfilled that. Yeah. So, yeah. Lauren, is there anything else you'd like to discuss? Um, I enjoyed... There are a bunch of weird one-off lines in this movie. Like, I could not say all the ones I wrote down. I thought that... If you weren't taking it super seriously, it was really fun. Wanted to know, uh, the baby kind of reminded me of Chucky towards the end, and I couldn't tell if that was because it looked like a demented baby doll or not. I I think it's because both Chucky and this baby tend to do that thing where they act with their eyebrows. That's where all their expression comes from. Oh. Oh. That solved all my problems there. But... I don't have anything extra to add, so I'm going to jump into my final review. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, I can see myself getting a group of friends together. We all watch this together. I loved the soundtrack. That that theme music had me tapping my toes again. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Wow. All right, cool. cool. Liam, you got anything else you'd like to add? No, Dave really touched on the the biggest problems that this movie had. It was it was things like um lighting and and uh the the written out exposition and the lack of cinematography. All these things they seem to be used to to hide aspects of the story or of the screen that the filmmakers were uncomfortable with rather than heighten those things. Um for example, when the alien creature was lifting Jake up, he was, the alien was shrouded in darkness, but the darkness, it didn't, it wasn't there to create a mood. I just, I got the feeling that it was there to hide the, um, practical effects that the filmmakers were uncomfortable with. You know, beyond that, it was just, uh, th- there wasn't a whole lot to like. There wasn't a lot that was, um, super awful but they're also beyond a visual effect or two that the filmmakers just seem to get lucky with there wasn't a lot um to really sink your teeth into so my final thoughts would be that um this movie has occasional moments of um striking imagery for example the bloated face or this zombie fight scene or these grainy clouds, uh, certainly effective. But, um, the movie, it doesn't, uh, capitalize on these things. It doesn't seem to use them in a way to complement the story. And, um, there isn't any tension in the film. There isn't any sense of escalation as the film goes on. Um, the cl- climactic fight with this baby takes place in the same warehouse set that we've been in through the rest of the movie. And so this lack of escalation, it kind of, the movie felt to me like a, like a broken escalator. And it's, it's a broken escalator that has caution tape on both the bottom of the stairs and the top. So you can't even use it as a staircase. You know what I mean? So there's, there's no moving escalation and there's also nothing to, to walk on and have fun with. And, so all together, this is a two out of ten for me. Ooh, I, I you know I wasn't miserable watching it, so that that's why it's not 
a one out of ten, but it's just, you know, I could have been watching just about anything else, and I would have. This is um, the worst video ever made. That you know, just about yeah, that's it. All right. Okay, obviously, so that's kind of a mixed result there. Uh, I don't think there's anything particularly great or terrible about this movie in general. I mean, it definitely has some uh, low points to it. I don't understand why it has an IMDb rating of three point whatever it is. It's not that terrible. The effects on the rats and the baby and even the monster were all substandard. I liked the scene where I believe it's Butch dies, as I mentioned before. It had a really good eyeball squirt in there, too, that just kind of added a little more to it at the end. And I thought that particular scene was really well done. But it's about the only high point in this movie. One thing about this movie, I like that it's a short movie and they didn't try to, at least they didn't try to pad it out to 90 minutes or something like that, right? I think not counting the credits, this is like a 68-minute movie. There's still some padding in it. There's way too much crouching and walking, but... uh they knew their limitations, I think, which were pretty severe. Uh, the recurring thing about the monster not wanting to kill and making you think it's something sexual, but then never really uh, bluntly leading you. But now, it doesn't have to lead you by the hand. But, I mean, they literally they just make that one reference, and then at the end it has a baby. And they didn't fill that out, and they really should have. And I think that could have gave, gave the movie at least a little more edge and made it a little more entertaining if they would have walked with that a little bit. And they didn't. Uh, people go in and out of consciousness pretty easy in this movie, and you don't know why what's happening to them is or how it is they're losing consciousness or how they're waking back up and getting back to the group. So it's kind of disjointed because of that. It's sloppy in a lot of different ways. The effects are kind of sloppy. The acting and writing are definitely sloppy. But at least the story, more or less, is still coherent. It's just we're trapped in here with this monster, and now we want to get out, and we can't because there's acid rain, so they have to destroy the monster or whatever. It drags a lot in the third act, and I didn't like that very much, especially when by the time the baby monster gets there, I'm really checked out of the movie, and I just want it to end. So overall, I did not really enjoy this movie very much. I think it's good for a laugh and it can be entertaining in places it's definitely be good for a group viewing kind of thing but this movie falls a little bit short of fair to midland so i'm only going to give this a four and a half out of ten do you guys like post-apocalyptic horror well i like night of the comet quite a bit if i recall correctly i gave it a six out of ten and i do like post-apocalyptic horror in general there's lots of great stuff out there but for example we'd take stake land but just something like this is – I don't know if I would even classify this as post-apocalyptic horror, more survival horror or slap. When you take away all the text that they added, it's not even post-apocalyptic. Exactly. Yeah. It's like they kind of wrapped it up in that to get you interested in it or excited about it. Because back in the 80s, that was like a popular thing. You know, like like uh, Lauren had mentioned earlier about how horror movies in certain eras will reflect aspects of society or culture and our fears and worries at the time. And through the 80s and even into the late 80s, that whole nuclear war, Armageddon, apocalypse kind of thing was really a strong vibe in society you know it was something that you know as a child i worried about and i was just a kid so it was very present in the culture so a lot of movies back then would use that as a setting you know be they horror or adventure or sci-fi or whatever and this movie just kind of did it but it did it real cheaply and it didn't play off and it didn't utilize it like it should mm-hmm. it was disappointing yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I think that makes it all the more sad that this movie, um, whether for budgetary reasons or just for a lack of imagination, wasn't able to explore those things and instead just include it sort of, included it sort of out of necessity, you know? Well, like I said, it's just a layer of paint. Yep. Right. On a, on a, on a, on a piece of feces, because that's the word you like to use. Yeah. So this week, uh, or rather not this week, but last week, uh, last week's show when I put that up and all that, Facebook decided it was going to throw me a bone and give us a bunch of like money, free money, not a bunch, but some free money to spend on advertisement, kind of like a coupon. So I did a little Facebook advertisement for the post related to last week's uh, show that we put up on SoundCloud. We put it up everywhere, but I use the SoundCloud link when we post it on Facebook. And uh, that got a lot of attention, actually, and a lot of people have liked our Facebook page and are participating there. And there was some decent conversation on Reddit as well regarding last week's episode. So like I said, folks, you listen to this podcast, maybe you haven't connected with it on social media, or you don't follow the the horror subreddit. You know, if you want to talk about these movies, that's the place to do it. You can do it on our posts on our Facebook page, or you could uh, check out Reddit's horror subreddit. Usually Sunday afternoons, I put up 
the post on the horror subreddit about this week's episode, and it'll get some attention. It'll be up there where you can see it for sure, so check that out. I'd love to check it out this weekend, you know, if you guys want to keep commenting and, and keep discussing uh, the films we're talking about, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I get involved. I usually just post uh, from the actual page, so you don't actually see my name or nothing. Usually when the page poster says anything, that's me. So next week, looks like we'll be putting out a show next week, too. What are we going to do? I don't know. I had a list. I have a list of movies, and a lot of them are anthologies, and I don't really want to get into anthologies yet till we start ironing out the kinks with our new crew, and maybe we might do something with more people for an anthology because there's a bunch of different separate stories being told. I don't know how I want to dick with that. So I'm putting the anthologies on the back burner, and I'll pick from one of the other movies I've got set aside on that list I emailed you guys. Okay, cool. Sounds awesome. good. Hopefully it's something that doesn't involve the picked off one by one terrible sci-fi formula. <laughs> yeah, we've had that a couple in a row now. Uh, I'll try. To, I'll try to pick something a little more high caliber. I knew these. I knew these last two movies weren't going to be uh, like like great, you know, yeah. experiences or whatever. But yeah, it's it just part of the body of work, man. Exactly. Exactly. You got to get a feel for the whole VHS era. So, you guys got anything you want to add before we head on out of here? No, I, th- I think we covered uh, a lot yeah. of cool ground. All right, great. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Adios. 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 Let's see you guys. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? You guys are going to have to get your own thing. Adios is mine. Hey, adios is mine, I thought. I thought adios is mine. Fuck you, Dave. Oh, my God. Fuck you. Fuck you.